morning. And welcome to our third and final week, you know, this year of our Real Life at the Movies. You guys enjoyed the series so far? Good. Five or six of you. That's awesome. Excited to do it again. I hope the previous two weeks you can see how there are some movies, specifically movie clips, you know, that uh, are modern day parables illustrating biblical truth. We've said that each week in the same way that Jesus told parables, which is just a fancy word for for the word stories, to illustrate the things of God. We've been using just a few movie clips, you know, as illustrations for the same. And so to kick off today, let me start with this. Uh, Unity is not hard. Unity is not hard. Uh, you see, unity is a whole or totality of combining all its parts into one. It's a oneness of mind, feeling, etc., as among a number of persons, harmony, agreement. In other words, it's taking a bunch of different people, putting them together, and being focused on something of similar in nature or a goal or something along, along those lines. See, when a group of people, whether it's a few or a lot of people, have similar interests, similar personalities, uh, similar likes and dislikes, it's not hard for them to be unified. Like, I'll tell you this, it's not hard you know, to be a Seahawk and go to a Seahawk game and cheer on, or maybe this year, boo your Seahawks and find unity with other people who may have differences, but it's, we found something that it's of common nature and we can be unified under that. Now, when it comes to remember the Titans, as long as they focus on football only... They are unified. You're about to see just a brief clip of, of the unity that they have in running the drills and running the practices. So go ahead and take a look at this now. Let's go to work. I've seen that movie so many times, and it's only with the subtitles. I saw like a starving man on a Christmas ham. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, you know, but I guess that was a saying, you know, at some point. So, you know, the things that you see when it comes like that. Uh, See, when it comes to this, it's not hard when it comes to specific individual things. What's hard is with people with completely different backgrounds, different ideas, different experiences to be unified under most anything. It's hard to get even generationally young and old or rich and poor, black and white or male and female. In fact, one of the greatest examples of how great we are, the United States of America, is look how united we are in Washington. Oh, it's so easy, whether it's libertarians or Republicans or independents or Democrats, to find anything that they can be united for and to get along and get something accomplished for the betterment of all people. In fact, maybe the hardest group of people you know, to get along in our part of the world is Washington State Cougar fans and Washington Husky fans, you know, to find them united. It really is cats and dogs you know, all over again. But as followers of Jesus, Christ-centered unity is essential to our faith and our faith community. 
Christ-centered unity. Unity in and of itself is not the goal. Unity with the truth of Christ and his word is the goal. In fact, in the Old Testament, we find a psalm that really emphasizes this. It's Psalms 133. And our understanding is David, King David is the one who writes this psalm. And he writes it just after the divided kingdom and the divided nation had finally come underneath his oversight and leadership. And we find this psalm that's being written. He says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. He says, what a beautiful picture. And then he's going to give us some metaphors, some illustrations that aren't common to our culture. So just give me a minute to be able to explain it to you. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard. Okay, what in the world does that mean? And how does that have to do with anything with unity? In the ancient Middle East, it was common to anoint someone's head with oil as a greeting oftentimes upon their entry into the home. You would wash their feet and you would anoint them with oil as a welcome to say, welcome to a unified home. You are welcome in this place. Now, how do I know this to be true definitively? Because in the New Testament, when Jesus is getting his foot, feet washed you know, by a woman, uh, there's some talk about what's taking place, and Jesus chastises the host. And this is what he says. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfumes. So let's know this was a common greeting into the home. Uh, this was also done, let's be honest, uh, hygiene was not uh, at a premium like it is today. Uh, the ability to take showers or baths in their day uh, was something that you would do on a rare occasion. And so washing somebody's feet and anointing them with, with, with oil, there would be a fragrance. It would always include a fragrance of oil. So the house would actually smell really, really good. Now, this is where all of you essential oil people are like, see, it's in the Bible, it's Prue, you know, you can see me afterwards, doTERRA, you know, will be in the lobby as you leave. But you have this fragrance that comes in, which is a symbol again, that among God's people, unity refreshes and makes a pleasant atmosphere for all. So this is commonality. Then he says this, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. Who's Aaron? Okay, Aaron was the first priest in Israel. He teamed up with Moses to go to Pharaoh to let my people go. And as the leader of his people, what David is referring to is your priestly role is not just to point people to God, but to unify people in their service of God. So when you have a leader that's focused on unity, you actually see this take place as a blessing. And then he finishes with this, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion, another, another name would be Israel, you know, or, or Jerusalem specifically. And Mount Hermon is one of those places that would get dew every morning in a dry and barren wasteland. Water is essential for life. And so he says, for this refreshment that comes from the mountain is a blessing for everyone. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So that's the promise in this life and in the life to come. What a beautiful picture of how unity is supposed to be modeled and fulfilled. And there are two areas of unity to help our faith and our faith community to grow. The first is unity with God that only happens through Jesus Christ. So when you accept Christ, the Bible talks about you are united with Jesus, with God, because of what Jesus has done. And not just this life, but the life to come. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it says, since we've been united with Jesus in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. 
And in order to be unified, we have to have a leader that unifies us. In the same way that he talked about Aaron, you know, being the priestly leader, Jesus is our priest and our king and our savior and our Lord. And as we focus on our leader, we become unified. Differences of perspective and ideas, but when we focus on Jesus, we find ourselves unified. Now, the reason I mention that is because next week we're kicking off a brand new series, and it's going to be called Yield. Okay, and so who has the right of way? So we're going to look at four weeks on what the Bible actually has to say about America and our favorite word, submission. And you're going to be begging me to talk more about movies. So it's, uh, it's going to be a great series, you know, as we go, you know, these next four weeks. And it's going to be challenging. It really will for all of us to understand what does it mean to let Jesus be the leader of our real lives. So the first way that we're unified is under Jesus and our faith when we put our faith in him. Secondly, there must be Christ-centered community. Unity with one another, with Jesus at the center, is what this looks like. In fact, um, Jesus was pretty serious about this as it pertained to our connection with each other. In fact, in John uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he's in the upper room. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for you and for me. And so this is an important conversation he has with his followers. And if you are going to pray, if you think about this, uh, for five generations from now, uh, people who know you or your grandkids, your great, 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 what would you pray for? Because Jesus gives us an insight of what he thinks is most important. And he prays for you and he prays for me. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one and you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. It's this idea of, of importance of being one. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. Don't miss this. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Of anything that Jesus would pray for, he didn't say, I'm going to pray for their sacrifice. I'm going to pray for their faith. I'm going to pray for their right theology. I'm going to pray for their worship. I'm going to pray for their service. I'm going to pray for their giving. I'm going to pray for unity. Because he knows, with him at the center, how important this is to accomplish all the things that I just mentioned, and then more so. In fact, a famous pastor by the name of D.L. Moody said this, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Let me say it again. I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Instead, you know, most of us have probably seen too often how disunity hinders the Spirit's work in the church and damages the church's witness to the world. In fact, if you study church histories, the churches that are not around today Almost all of them didn't fall or fade away because of outside influence. It was always within the context of the church, disunity over things typically that don't matter all that much in the eyes of God, created division, thus effectiveness, and then over time the church becomes irrelevant and actually a lack of purpose. See, just like a sports team, you got a coach, you got players, you got a playbook, and you have a goal on how to run the play. You run the play, you huddle back, and you run another one in the hopes of putting points on the board, stopping the other team, and eventually with the goal of winning. Okay, in Christ, Jesus is our coach. 
Our pastors and leaders, our assistant coaches, all of us are called to play a part. Our playbook is the Bible. We run the plays according to the Bible, guided by the Holy Spirit, through the pastors and leaders in our church as we huddle regularly in the weekend services and life groups to run the plays God has for us outside these walls. Our enemy is the devil who's running different plays to try to stop us, and our goal is to become and make disciples of all nations until God meets us in the air one day. That's a good thing to be excited about. That's what we're supposed to do. This is our huddle. We're huddling together in unity so that we can be effective for him outside these walls. Ephesians chapter 4 says it this way. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, notice this, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Maturity is a byproduct or a result of unity. In a day and a culture where when people don't agree with us, we love to ostracize, cancel, or go church hopping from one to another, what actually brings maturity is when we're able to work through differences focused on unity in the body with Christ at the center. That's where we grow, not when we run and go find the next thing that we think is going to help us. See, when we do our part, our part of the team, our part of the family, we see Jesus do amazing things. Your life matters. It matters to God. It matters so much to other people. You are needed, you are valued, and you are invited to an incredible part of the kingdom of God. So if this is the picture, right, if this is the purpose, if this is the goal, then why is it so hard? Why is unity so hard? And remember the Titans. One of the reasons it was so hard is because they started to focus more on their differences instead of what they had in common. They focused less on their common goal and more on the things that irritated, bugged, or repelled them from one another. When we focus on our differences, we will never find victory in our lives or the lives of other people. Go ahead and check out this scene with me now. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Wake up, gentlemen, it's late, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. All right, listen up. You will follow Doc, myself, and the other coaches. We're going to take a little run through the woods. If you get lost along the way, don't bother coming back to camp. Just hitchhike your hind parts on home. Any questions? Coach, it's a high school football team. We're not the Marines here. Let's go. Take no risk. Take no risk. 
Anybody know what this place is? This is Gettysburg. This is where they fought the Battle of Gettysburg. 50,000 men died right here on this field, fighting the same fight that we're still fighting amongst ourselves today. This green field right here, painted red, bubbling with the blood of young boys, smoke, and hot lead pouring right through their bodies. Listen to their souls, man. I killed my brother with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. You listen. You take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hollow ground, we too will be destroyed. Just like they were. I don't care if you like each other or not, but you will respect each other. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you will learn to play this game like men. If we don't come together, we too will be destroyed. The Apostle Paul, you know, writes to a church in the city of Corinth, and this is what he says. I appeal to you. It's one of the strongest opening statements that he does when he begins to address them after his opening greetings. I am pleading with you. I want you to hear this. And then he says, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I'm trying to let you understand, by Christ's authority that has been given to me, I am appealing to you, I am begging you, I am pleading with you to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, unity, and thought, and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. And what he does, if you want to go back and look at it as an assignment this week, He spends the next four chapters talking about what they're doing in the church that's causing disunity. And he's saying, here's the report that I've heard from Chloe and her household and how the things are not going well within the church and you're losing your witness, you're losing the opportunity, you're losing the Spirit's work in your life. And he walks through that. So what destroys Christ-centered unity? Well, it's usually because I get a chance to focus on me instead of we or instead of he. Right? That's, our, that's our tendency. We focus on me, what I prefer, what I want, my perspective, and what I would like to see take place. And it's hard. It's hard to acquiesce. It's hard to, to surrender you know, some of my thoughts and opinions for the sake of the team. In fact, that it's in this next scene, you're going to see Coach Yo struggle with what he's been presented with. And his pride takes a hit. But there was something that was greater that caused him to pause and reflect. Go ahead and take a look at the scene now. Look, I can't even spell diplomacy, and I'm sorry about the way things went down, but uh, make no mistake, I am qualified to be this school's head coach. Well, sure, you've been in what? Four or five programs in the past 10 years? With four or five championships. This isn't about me. I'm worried about my boys. Well, I ain't gonna cook them and eat them. The best player will play. 
Color won't matter. From the looks of our little situation we got us here, I'd say it's about all it does. Yeah, you're right. We're in a tough spot, Coach. You, me, the whole city. I think that it would go a long way to smooth things over if you would stay. Work on the staff, be a defensive coordinator, assistant head coach. Work under you. If that's the way you see it. Good night, Coach. It's been a rare privilege to have lived here as long as I have, coaching your boys. I'll be taking the year off. No. After which, I'll be moving to Loudon, taking the head coaching job at Loudon High. I say boycott T.C. Williams. Get him, Fred. Our boys aren't playing for some coach coon. Coach, he stole your job. I'm not playing for him. I started a petition, and I'm sitting this season out. The place you're going to sit is right back in that chair, Gary. I appreciate it, though. Boycott TC! Boycott school! Stop this, Fred. You know that none of these boys can afford to go to some other district just to play ball. They sit this one out, they put their futures on the line. Coach, I'm out, too. I'm not playing for no thief. Don't do this. Don't make this any harder for me than it already is. Coach, if you go, I go. I only play for you, Coach Young. Don't go, Coach! Coach. I've coached most of these boys since they were your age. I've seen them grow up in front of my eyes, almost like they were my own kids. Almost. This is a heck of a time to be abandoned and lose a lookout for themselves, ain't it? So, what are you gonna do? It's not a good time to look out for ourselves and abandon these kids. So he decided to humble himself for the sake of the kids for the sake of unity, to put himself under the leadership and authority of Coach Boone. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's a step. In fact, I start thinking about early on in the Bible, one of the first uh, um, mentions of unity is the idea when someone is to leave their father and mother, to cleave to their spouse, and the two will be united into one flesh. This idea of marriage, you know, that, that was, it was introduced very, very early on as one of the first pictures, you know, of unity. And so here's what I know is that when I focus on me instead of we in our marriage or he in our marriage, um, I find myself at odds and a lack of unity, right? I find myself on a regular basis going, okay, we're not united. And if I'm going to be honest, because I trace it back to I'm right, I want to make sure my opinions, my thoughts, you fill in the blank. But here's what I won't do. I won't divorce my wife because of that. I won't be forced my wife over a matter of opinion or, or preference because there's a commitment to one another that supersedes the me that makes the we and the he central to our relationship. And so we can find ourselves at odds and still come back and be unified with one another. See, one of the subtle things that I see when it comes to this idea of focusing on self is the desire to want the benefits of unity without the accountability of it. Right? We want the benefits, we want what unity brings, but we want it as long as it doesn't interrupt what I think or what I feel or what I you know, perceive to be right. And even further yet, that's for somebody else to deal with. Like That's for the small group leader to deal with, that's for the pastor to deal with, that's for the boss to deal with, that's for somebody else in authority. And yet, here's what we know, unless you're willing to also fight for unity, even without the other leaders around, it'll be very hard-pressed to actually see it take place. 
In this next scene, you're going to see it's not the coaches who make sure that they focus on unity. It's actually the players. Coach, man. What do you want with us now? Coaches ain't called us a meeting tonight. We did. Hey, how y'all gonna walk out on your teammate like that? He said he got something to say. Y'all got to listen Turn around. To. Turn around. Where you going? Turn around. Coach Boone brought us this far, y'all. But he ain't gonna be there for us forever, man. So what? We won a few games. And y'all fools think that's something? Man, that ain't nothing, y'all. And you know what else? We ain't nothing either. Yeah, we came together in camp. Cool. But then we're right back here, and the world tells us that they don't want us to be together. We fall apart like we ain't nothing, man. And y'all think we don't want something? Man, we ain't want nothing, y'all. Nothing. Rev, what's that you're always telling me when I get sick of trying to keep up with my grades and stuff? Even you grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. See, amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. Amen, right? That's right, right? They will soar on wings like eagles. Like eagles, y'all. Like eagles, y'all. They will walk and not grow fast. It's easy to want a victory. It's easy to say, yes, I want to reach our community for Jesus. Yes, I want to be unified under the things of Christ. It's much more challenging to be responsible for the change, to be responsible for the accountability that unity brings, especially when there are some things that bother you. Uh, Another thing that destroys unity is our ignorance about God and or other people. Uh, And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of things that the world is going to continue to push that feels right, that seems right. And if we don't know what God is trying to say, if we don't know his word, then we're going to find ourselves fighting over things that we could actually be unified under if we'd actually understand what does God actually have to say about this specific issue or thought or idea. And that's, again, something else we're going to address in the next four weeks. The other thing is that we've got to get to know people and see people how God sees them. You know, we live, unfortunately, in a society that we are so quick to judge, to categorize, and if they don't agree with us, to cancel them, to actually put them at an arm's distance, to be like, no, I don't even want to have a conversation because you think, act, live, or behave differently. In fact, in in this scene, Coach Boone realizes that football itself is not going to be enough for their team to be unified, and so he decides to take it to another level. Lasting. I want you to tell me something about one of your black teammates. Sir, yes, sir. I'm rooming with Blue, sir, and I noticed that he wears those leopard-spotted underwears, bikini style, sir. Okay, maybe somebody who's not your roommate. Sir, I eat lunch with Rev. 
That's Jerry Harris, sir. People call him Rev because he's always praying and he won't fight a foul tongue, sir! And what is the Rev going to do after high school? I don't know. Go to college and all that, I guess. What about you? You going to go to college? Oh, not me, coach. I ain't a brainiac like Rev. Think you got a future in football? Oh, heck no. I just figure if I got to be in school, I might as well hit some people while I'm at it. All right, I like that. <laughs> a self-aware man, I like that. But if you don't go to college, it's not going to be because you're not qualified. So I want you to bring me your test scores at the end of every week. We'll go over them together, okay? We'll keep that between you and me. Okay. So what kind of music does the Rev like? Oh, me and Rev both dig on the Temptations. Oh, yeah? I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I got to pray, please, for your sympathy. I don't mind, cause you mean that much to me. Ain't you proud to beg? Okay, all right. <laughs> Stop begging. Anybody else? No volunteers? Camel? Bertia? No, huh? Each one of you will spend time every day with a teammate of a different race. You will learn about him and his family, his likes, his dislikes. You'll report back to me until you meet every one of your teammates. Until that time, we go to three-a-day practices. You continue to ignore each other, we'll go to four-day practices. Now, is there any part of this that you don't understand? When George Floyd, you know, the death of George Floyd took place, like all of you, I had a lot of thoughts and a lot of perspective. Uh, like many of you, I had strong opinions, you know, based in and around all of it. But what I decided to do for the sake of unity within our church and our staff is two things. First, I asked uh, one of our staff members, you know, who is a biracial couple, to let us know what it's going, what has this been like, you know, to grow up as African American. What does it feel like to sit in their shoes? And our staff got a chance to hear a perspective that most of us do not share, and to help understand what it would be to walk in that person's shoes. After that person was done, I asked another staff member who's married to a local police officer to talk about what it's been like over the last year or so to be a police officer under everything that's taken place and to hear that perspective, which many of us do not share either. And it was incredible to watch us stop and to listen instead of spouting what we think and believe in order for us to be unified based on a perspective moving forward. Secondly, I did something I've not done before, and that is I called uh, five or six of my African-American pastors, uh, friends across the country, and I said, would you be willing to sit with me and a couple of guys over Zoom, and every other week we spend an hour with the purpose of listening and getting to know one another, to be able to hear what it is, your perspective, your thoughts, and your opinions. Now, let me be honest. Some of those conversations were very uncomfortable. And a lot of the conversations at certain times, I didn't agree with at all. But what happened was, is we began to empathize and be compassionate to one another and the journey that we had together. And unity took place, not because of our diversity, 
but in our diversity, our commitment to Jesus Christ as our, com- our, co- our committed Lord and Savior and our faith communities as we continue to make him first. You want to know what it would have been a lot easier? To just read articles and listen to talking heads on Fox News and CNN. To just uh, follow my algorithm that takes place on social media if you're not aware by now. And if you're wondering, I don't know why everybody doesn't agree with me because all the articles I get on my Google search and social media is exactly what I believe. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that it's actually pitted against you to talk and get to know people who are thinking or feeling something different than you? If you've not, you need to do a little bit more research on how the algorithms and the search engines are actually there not to unify or give a different perspective, but to actually reinforce the perspective that you and I already have. So it's easy to find people. It would have been so much easier to find just people I agree with and be like, yeah, this is what's right and the way that we should go. Instead, the focus on Jesus and his mission is actually what became the goal. See, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes this, for you are all children of God. How? How are we united in this way? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, rich or poor, Democrat or Republican. For we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. Christian unity is the result of God bringing together people of different ethnicities, backgrounds, and social classes into one body, one faith in Christ. Here's what I have no time to go into that I didn't even mention at the other two services. Study for just a second the disciples that Jesus chose. These guys would never hang out with each other, politically or otherwise. There is nothing that these guys had in common with each other. And Jesus says, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you. And we're going to be and learn what it means to be united with myself and with God at the center. Biblical unity is not going to be easy or or it's it's comfortable. It will demand that we, empowered by the Spirit, actively put on love. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 says, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, let me make sure I'm clear. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean you have to put away the thoughts and the differences, you know, of your background, nationalities, or thoughts or opinions. In fact, proof of this is if you look in Revelation, when the end of all days comes, what does Jesus say? He says, I'm going to gather before my throne all languages, tongues, tribes, and nations, and they come together in unity. There's diversity and there's unity. Those are not the same. You can be diverse and be unified at the same time. Now, I need to let you know, where we struggled with this, even as a church over the last two years, is something called COVID, right? Some of you had some thoughts and opinions, as well as I did. In fact, some of you, you know, um, said that we need to have more masks and we need to stop meeting in services is when we actually started. Others, you said, no mass. What's wrong with you? You're giving in to govern, government fear and tyranny. So some of you said, push vaccines to save people's lives. And others of you say, don't push vaccines and give in again to government overreach. I had some of you who said, give religious exemptions. And others who said, what's wrong with you? Why are you giving religious exemptions? And that's just three issues of many that we went through. But I want to let you know something. What moved me to the core of my being was how many of you who said something along these lines, Dan, as long as you and the elders and the staff 
are focused on Jesus and his word and his mission, we might disagree and we might even choose to be around or not be around for a season, but we are in this with you because together we are all doing this for Jesus. That's the unity. And it was so moving to see so many of you represent this. To say, you know what, I'm going to put my thoughts and opinions secondary to the mission and vision of Jesus, knowing that the guys who are having to make these decisions are actually trying to seek Jesus too and follow his word. And the strength of this church goes so far back. I just want to let you know, I'm the third lead pastor in this church. You've had two, two other ones before me. Do you know every time that the lead pastor left, the church never went down? Because the people were committed to Christ, his word, and the mission in relationship with one another. It's the strength that God has brought that I'm going to challenge all of us to perpetuate and continue as we move forward with Jesus at the center. So as we close, where do you need to fight for Christ-centered unity in order to fulfill the vision and the mission of Jesus? Imagine what could happen. As we continue to have our lives and this specific faith community, as we focus on Jesus and the unity of what that means, Ephesians chapter 3 comes to mind. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this is your day. This is your church, and we are your people. Father, we thank you that in different thoughts and opinions and diversity, Lord, under many different headings, that we can find unity by focusing on you, on your word, and on making sure that your mission and your purpose for our lives are fulfilled with the times that we have left. So, Father, I just pray that you would just draw people to yourself, that you would use you know, us to impact one another, and that the world would recognize that because of the unity we have with you at the center, in diversity, that people would come to know you and know that we follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.